welcome everybody to our podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris, Chris Burton. Chris has been a coach for the last 15 years, working with leaders across a wide range of business sectors and also is a qualified coach supervisor. He's particularly interested in helping teams transform their performance and has done research into what differentiates high performance teams. And this is today's topic. Before becoming a coach, Chris worked with Mars as a European sales director and manager director in Mars businesses in Ireland, Taiwan and South Korea. Chris now lives near Oxford, has four grown up children and when he has time, enjoys cycling in beautiful places and climbing mountains. Welcome, Chris. It's a real pleasure to have you as a guest. Thanks very much, Trayton. Great to be so, here. So let's get straight into it, if I may. So give me an overview of the teams you've worked with and sort of some of the the things that you note about what makes great high-performance teams. That's a really interesting question because it, I work with leaders and teams, as do you. And And if I think about the leaders I work with, Quite a high percentage of those leaders are talented and high performing, I would say. So 30 to 40%. Mm. If I think about the teams I come across, I would say fewer than 10% I would categorize as high performing teams. And I do a thing, you know, when I'm working with a team for the first time, I'll go around the, the group and say, you know, what's Trayton, what's the best team you you've you've ever been in? I won't do it to you live. But um about a third of people say my under 11 hockey team or the like oh we had fun it was great we we won we lost we had great fun about a third say one of my first career um jobs was was we were learning fast we were making lots of mistakes things were going right things were going wrong it was really energizing it was fun and about a third of people sort of look at their feet and and say I don't really think I've ever been in a high-performing team. So that, when you think about it, is a tragic mm. waste of talent. Um, and that really stimulates my interest in teams and team performance. It's an interesting sort of observation. Um, why do you think that is? Why is it that teams, when you're working with great leaders, I guess mainly within large organisations, either public, private, or not-for-profit organisations, so fairly large organisations, yeah, those leaders don't feel like they're working in a great team. The, you know, the inner game of tennis and where it says, I'll correct me if I get this wrong, is performance equals potential minus interference or something like that. That's correct, yeah. Tim Gowen. There you go. With with one leader, there's only their individual interference, maybe. With a team, it's a much more complicated system. You've got lots of potential interference that can get in the way. So I think it's that. I think there's lots of stuff that gets in the way. Yeah, okay. So when you do see high performance in that 10%, I think was the correct figure you said. Yeah. What What is it that you see and observe when high performance teamwork is in place? We've done some research into into this area and six things um, seem to seem to stand out. I've, I've written them down because I always get to them before and then I'll, I'll forget. But sure. six things, compelling purpose, so they're clear about what they're trying to do and they're engaged in what they're trying to do. So being clear isn't enough in its own right. Um, so good examples, emergency teams, um, military teams, charities, World Wildlife Fund, really compelling purpose. Yeah. 
goals and roles, clear goals and roles, obvious to to say, but I, Hugh and I are in a team. I have to be really clear what you're doing, what I'm doing, and we have to rely on each other. And if you think, you know, the ultimate example of that, I often think, is is a Formula One team that changes four tyres in 2.3 seconds or, or whatever. Yeah, something ridiculous, yeah. Um, third thing, strong capability and expertise. So they have to have the right skills, experience and expertise round, round the table or in the team um, to do what they're trying to do. So think surgical teams, think an Apollo mission control, something like that. Fourth thing, and I think in a way the most important, values and behaviours, you know, they're, they're the glue that holds everything together for me within an organisation. And if that isn't right, doesn't matter how talented everybody is. And I think to your to your question a minute ago, that's often what goes wrong, uh, the values and behaviours. Fifth thing, effective ways of working. So decision-making, empowerment, communication. Love them or hate them. You know, Amazon are pretty good at this stuff. And, and final thing, and I think a lot of teams don't do this, is proactive attitude to change. So a lot of teams can go quite insular and quite short term rather than get thinking right what might happen how do we get prepared how do we mitigate against what might happen so six things compelling purpose goals and roles capability and expertise values and behaviors effective ways of working proactive attitudes change those mm. for me seem to be the six yeah and, and and when you list them like that it's not complicated it really isn't complicated. No. It, so what, it really what isn't makes, complicated. What makes those simple principles difficult to execute to get high performance teamwork? I think it's it's the values and culture piece. I think w when I look at teams that aren't working, it's hardly ever capability and expertise. Most teams have smart people in them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's two things, actually. I think it's that values and culture piece, and I think a lot of a lot of teams aren't really clear on the purpose, or the purpose might not be compelling to them, and they have too many goals. So you you look at something that's in the news last week, uh, HS two, okay? Why did that go wrong? Well, in a way, there were two. You know, they were thinking about cost and leveling up and time and politics and local communities and environment it was just too messy you know the 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 purpose wasn't clear and the goals and roles and, and that's i think why it's sort of oh, oh, come off the track yeah, yeah for, thank you for the pun yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's right i'm good. here all week i'm here all week yeah. <laughs> great so and it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm just reflecting on this because like you, I, I work with a lot of teams and I, I think for leaders and for teams, and we mustn't forget the other part of of the equation, which is followers, right? Those team players yeah. that, that leaders lead. Um, it's a complex and challenging world at the moment and, and changing very rapidly. So have you seen a change, I guess, pre and post COVID in levels of high performance teams or is it has it stayed consistent through that transition i think a lot of teams manage really well in a crisis and mm. covid was was a crisis albeit a prolonged one so yeah. teams can be at their best in a crisis because they just cut through all the 
you, you know, cut through all the crap uh, and they yep. get stuff done and they get organized and they do things differently. So I think actually, funnily enough, a lot of teams through COVID were at their best coming out of COVID. I think it's now much more difficult Two two reasons. Hybrid working, you know, different ways of working. And I think yeah. that will bed down over the next few years. And different organizations are, are taking different approaches to that. And that's that's all changing uh live. So I think, you know, that's 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 one thing. And the other thing is a lot of people now post-COVID, I think, are looking at well, the, at their lives, at their jobs, at their organizations, and and thinking you know, reflecting, thinking, do I want to be here? You know, are these the decisions I want to to make? So that plays into the whole leader follower thing as well. You know, are these leaders I want to follow now? Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot going on post post COVID, but teams yeah. tend to be good in a crisis because they get rid of all the the extraneous, irrelevant bullshit. You know, yeah. processes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So going back to your six elements, I guess in a crisis there's a purpose and a vision and an output that's required, and yeah. teams will quickly bit like a project. It's not necessarily short term, but it's quite clear about what's going to be delivered. Yes, and teams can quite usually see that there's an outcome, there's a purpose, there's a why and a what. Um, yeah. They can structure themselves around that. They bring in the skills, the capabilities. Uh, they create ground rules and ways of working. Let's call them values and behaviours. Mm-hmm. And they have sprints using project language that, that delivers yes. on outcomes so they can see progress. Um, but when that, I guess, that short-term project or that crisis is in place, then it comes more nebulous in, in the approach and focus and delivery of what the teams are achieving on a day-to-day monthly quarterly annual basis is that what you're saying yes yes that's exactly what we're saying um and then if we can bring in some of what you're talking about then that might give a focus for for teams to maintain that high performance for for longer it's all about Parity for me. So if I look at the the best coaching work and the worst coaching work I've done, it's pretty much mm. always contracting. If the contracting at the beginning is is thorough and clear, yeah. things tend to work well. If things are a bit more nebulous and a bit more well, we'll see. And and you know, and you, you're thinking things in your guts, telling you things like this: this coachee is not committed, or this boss is a bully, or whatever. That's when things go wrong. If you if you suppress what your gut is telling you and you and you carry on, so contracting for me is is uh, absolutely vital. And and that comes back to the point you were making. You know about if you split it up into projects or work streams or or whatever you want to call it, that can that can really help. Yeah. So I guess one of the complications with teams is that you usually join a team that's already in place. You never bring a team that's brand new like you would do with a project mm-hmm. or a task like going into your pleasures of climbing mountains yeah where you say okay our task is this we'll bring a team together they meet for the first time they they get that clarity of not only how they're going to work with each other but expectations to deliver roles as a team and as individuals yeah. and clear role responsibility in normal working life if i can call that you join a team that's sort of halfway up the mountain or 
sort of wherever it's got to with people joining, leaving, and it, it, there's a lot of moving parts within the team and the task of the mountain itself is being reset or repositioned yeah. with the change that's going on in organisations. So it becomes very complex for many. It, it, it does, and I often the, the I often use you know climbing Everest as a as an example of this because if you, if you think about bringing a team together on on Mount Everest, there's normally two groups of people you're trying to bring together. So you're trying to bring together the the climbers, you know, who are professionals, relatively well off maybe, and and they might be paying a lot of money to be there, and the Sherpa team who are the sort of glue that hold it together and, and carry stuff up and down the mountain, and they might be getting $500 a year. So, you know, to bring those two people, groups of people whose lives are actually depending on each other mm. together and blend them really quickly in a, in a team is just an incredible thing that, 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 that happens. So that gives me a lot, a lot less patience actually when people say, Oh, sales and marketing don't get on. Well, <laughs> you know, Surely we can find a way of sales and marketing getting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the challenges they both face, and and I guess what you're talking about here at a strategic level, or most levels actually within teams, stakeholder management. It's not yes. only who's in the team, but also who those teams need to rely on for their own success. Uh, absolutely, and and yeah. some teams can be you you take a, an expedition team up a mountain, and and you know once they get on the mountain, there aren't that many stakeholders, so it becomes more simple. Um, yeah. HS2, back to HS2, what we're talking about, very difficult, all sorts of national, local, political, you know, stakeholders, very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I can seal that. And I don't know if you're aware of the work done by Peter Hawkins in the systemic approach to team, team coaching, yeah. uh, where he uses sort of mainly four areas. You're looking at who are our core stakeholders and what are their expectations that we need to serve as a team um, and understanding those expectations will then give us clarity as of a team about what we need to deliver for those stakeholders but also yes. what that means for then how we work with each other yeah um, and the levels of performance and the deliverables um, and then the other part in the fourth element of his model talks into how do we keep engaged with stakeholders? So those mm. four areas, which are all interlinked and at the heart of that model is obviously, how do we learn? How do we adapt? How do we mm. become more agile um, mm. and get up the mountain or whatever the task is even quicker? Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can I can see all those elements coming into to what you're saying as well. Yeah, and, and, and that means that, you know, in, in working with a team and in coaching a team, I spend much more time on the on the setup, on that contracting, if you like, than, than mm -hmm. I I would with a with a one to one leader. So so what I would try and do with a with a new team is is have a one to one conversation with with each of them. You know, start off with the leader, but then talk to all yep. of them, um, and you know, make that confidential. And you know, what's going well, what's not going well, and and. Uh, and that gives you a chance to get to know them all, and and then they might say things that they might not in in open forum. Um, yeah. And and what I do, I, I've I've got a questionnaire that I get them all to a simple questionnaire based on the six characteristics that that I just took you through, and I get them all to fill in that. There's about thirty questions, and then there's one to five scale or whatever. 
And then in the first team session, you can play back to them. This is what you are telling me. And I find that's a very good way of establishing where the team is. Whereas if you're just with a, a new team and you're saying, right, come on, guys, tell me the challenges and you're at the flip chart. Well, they may or may not tell you the challenges and probably they won't actually until about the second or third yeah. workshop. So I think that um, establishing the base and, and finding out what they're what they're all thinking is is critical. Yeah. But I guess we've moved on to how do we do the team coaching? Um, and if I may talk into the approach I take, which is very similar to you, Chris, is that uh, exactly the same. I like to have a, a, a 45 minute, maybe an hour conversation with each individual. Um, before I do that, though, speak to the lead and understand what he or she would like to get out of the, the team coaching mm. and understand from their perspective what they feel are some of the challenges the team need to address. Yeah. And then yeah. speak to each of the individuals within the team to understand their perspective of the current situation and the reality of how the team are operating and some of those external factors. And I even ask, you know, help me understand how the individual leads, you know, that leadership style, does that help or, or hinder? And then when I've done that, like you, I aggregate all of that data, which then informs the, or refines the agenda that the leader, leader wants to have within that event. Mm -hmm. and, and I contract like he did. And I also mm -hmm. ask individuals to um, not only give me that, but just to share other facts they think might get in the way of mm. the day or, or the session or the program that, that we're running. And then all of that aggregated data I, I share back. So no one knows who said what. Yes. Uh, but, but common themes, you know, three or more people have, have said that. And what I find by doing that is that the team go, this is our agenda. This is not a coach or a consultant that's come in to force an agenda. And this is all relevant to us. And, and then, as you quite rightly say, you've, you've got a real starting block to talk into. Not only that, you're sort of on the same page, if not ahead of them, because you know what's been said and where the conversation then might flow to. Yes. So that's that's certainly one of the things that I do uh, when team coaching and using, you know, those six areas or other areas that might emerge from some of the challenges or things that are working well or some of those things that might be working less well. Well, one thing I noticed just building on that point is, you know, I, I will share the, the results of the, the questionnaire that I um, get them to fill in. And say there's a low score on a particular question, I find that really then seems to give people freedom to say, oh, okay, you know, I scored that low as well. And the reason I scored that low was because of because of this. So when they yeah. when they can see what the team is thinking, it does somehow give them that confidence and yeah, the confidence to 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 talk more and to talk more openly and to talk more deeply. Yeah. Very interesting with the team as as well. Because it sounds like we do it the same way. And there has to be an ongoing relationship with the leader and with the team, with the team members, you know, between a series of workshops or interventions or, or whatever you're doing. And that's really, I think that's critical to the whole thing. But it's it's easy to get that wrong and, and be seen as a double agent by by both sides. Um so I I, I I find that quite interesting. So you have to win the the confidence of the leader enough so that in a workshop you can say hey Trajan what makes you think that or hang on that's not the same as what you said last last time or so it's it's quite a subtle it's quite a subtle thing and yeah. you have to really think on your on your feet but it but it is it, it's all about how we work with leaders I guess about building that trust 
with them early so that, that both sides think both sides are not two sides but you know that everybody thinks you're being fair and and straightforward and your any challenge is is with good intention you're doing it you're not doing it to point score or anything you're doing it for to move the team forward yeah it's it's certainly a you say you know there is a fine line but it's it's for me it's a success factor not when you're doing team coaching it's not only the relationship you have with the leader but relationship you have with the whole team and when i'm team coaching it's very much you know i'm in service of the whole team and part of that whole team is the leader yeah but if i'm seen to um favor the leadership's view or opinion then i can use lose credibility with the team yes and vice versa Yes. So, you know, I very much see myself when I'm coaching within a team as a team coach and I would not coach separately the leader of that team mm-hmm. or coach anybody within that team. Mm-hmm. And what I have seen, you know, and some people may disagree, but I, I find it unethical practice and unprofessional practice is where you find a team coach will be coaching the leader, coaching the team and coaching a number of individuals within the team. Yes, I, I think you just you you're wearing too many hats there. I think that yeah. that that can't uh, that that can't work. So it's so it's finding that balance where you are fair to all parties and being still a this sort of the neutral observer mm. with the objectivity. Mm. Um, and although your allegiance is to the leader and to the team, making sure that's balanced. And what I find as well is is that when you're going, when you're working with a team, quite often what happens is is a sort of mirror of, you know, the Tuckman forming, storming, norming, performing. So I quite often find a a first workshop is brilliant, and everybody is, oh no, that's where we are, and that's what we need to work on, and you know they go out all fired up, and then you know the second workshop four or six weeks later, it can be a bit sort of, oh right, that wasn't as easy as we thought, was it? And Oh, okay. Now I know I said that I've done that, but I I haven't done that. And so I find that just just like with that forming storm, there can be a little dip, sure. and then often, and that can knock your your confidence as a as a new team coach. But then often, you know, workshop three, four, or five, there can be a big breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, but it's often how it's it's interesting how often they they follow a similar pattern. I don't know if if you see that. I definitely see that. And um, I sometimes see that when I'm doing on a one-to-one coaching, that the rapport and trust starts to build up, so they start to disclose more. Yes. And and I guess the difference between an individual and team coaching is that as the teams start to disclose more, it's not just you as the coach that hear, hears it. Yeah. Other members of the team hear it. Yeah. And they will react differently you know, to what they're hearing, and a level of honesty starts to come out. Hmm. So you go through, as you say, that sort of um, honeymoon period you know, mm. forming, and then you do get into that storming. Mm. But I find that um, most useful for to help teams move on, to reset, you know, going back to the conversation before, to reset the ground rules and expected ways of operating and those mm. new norms that are needed for them to become a high-performance team. Mm. Mm. And the other thing that I see, which is, is sort of fascinating for me, is when you first, and again, I don't know if you see this, Chris, when you first start out, members of the team will talk, to you as the coach about someone who's in the room whether yeah. that's good or, or not so good yeah and i just say well you know fred's in the in the room just 
talk to them and I actually sort of point, you know, talk to them. So you yeah. see their heads then move over. But then when they've got another point, they come back and they use you as the sort of the conduit of that exchange. Yes. Yeah. And what I notice is the team emerges and this is for me a success factor is then they start talking to each other and sort of ignore you because they know how to do that. And the team coaches has encouraged and facilitated that level of openness and rapport with with the team, with each other, rather than having to use you as the sort of the, the conduit. And that's a great sign, isn't it? That's a sign of when you're yeah. getting somewhere, when when you, you're involved less as a point man. Yeah. And it gets I, even, I've had it where we come to teams where the team sort of um, push you out because there's no need for you. Yes. You know, you're yes. there just as a, I don't know, just a, an extra person. We don't need you. And, yes. and for me, that's a bit that Mary Poppins moment, right? We don't need yes. you anymore, which is great. Yes. No, I agree. And the, another thing I try and do with with teams, that they've often got themselves into patterns of working on things, thinking about things. And 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 what I try and do is is to to give them much more diversity in that way. So maybe using just a simple model like um to bono six thinking hats, something like mm. that. So if the team is constantly all oh, that will never work or whatever, you you force them to to wear the yellow hat and right, come on, tell me, let's have Be two minutes on positives on on this or yeah and i find that can really work well used in lots of ways so you can go through something linearly with a team you know white hat red hat blue hat whatever or or you you get somebody who who might be a bit bit of a black hat and you say right traitor today for the next 10 minutes you're just yellow hat and and you you switch you switch roles around and i they find that great fun there's always a lot of laughs when you do that type of thing but it just gets them to to play in a different way it's like a sports team playing a different pattern or moving from 443 to 442 or whatever and sometimes mm. that can be the the magic dust that just moves them on yeah and i and i think not only great fun but also introduces a different language yes into the team so rather than say oh come on you're being so cynical and just sort of um um a no sayer in this, you know, which would be the black hat type of, of yes. approach. You say, "Come on, let's forget that now. Put the yellow hat. Be more creative." And and it, it gives individuals permission to challenge and switch. What the word I would use is identities. Yes. Of either the individual as a team. You know, how do we identify yeah. with this problem? We can have a filter and look at it as a black hat, or we can filter it through a yellow or red or whichever hat was appropriate. And giving yes. your, giving teams just a different perspective and permission yeah. to to do that in a in a fun way and another a starting point a great starting point i always find is is with that um de bono white hat facts so you, you mm. say to a team well we're struggling with this thing what are the facts around it and hardly ever will they give you facts <laughs> they'll always give you opinions and you have yeah. to gently push back Trayton, that's an opinion that's not yeah. really a fact uh tell me the facts and I guess that links to the first point you made, Chris, is why only you know ten percent of the teams you work are really high performing because there's a lot of subjectivity, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of um, non-factual data within the conversations and the situation that they're dealing with. Mm. And and it's really interesting because you just made me think that a lot of the high-performing teams that I work with, they work from a very much a fact fact basis. Mm-hmm. And although they're uncomfortable with knowing the facts, they're comfortable in talking into it and finding 
the right factually incited, insightful decision that they need to make from that, mm-hmm. um, which gives them that clarity of of direction. And, you know, just having that sort of conversation gives people an understanding of not only the what, but the why. They've got facts to support the why. Yes. You know, on an intellectual yes. level, not to say an, an emotional cerebral yes. level. Yes. Another model, and I don't always just, just use models, but another model that sometimes works is is Belbin, just doing a really simple Belbin with, with people, because that gets them to to really understand their colleagues in a very simple way, and you can do it very quickly. And again, that can give them a, a shared language. Usually a few of them have come across it anyway. Um, and you can then look at them as a team and, and see, you know, where their strengths are in, in a Belbin type way. And often they will then join the dots themselves. They'll go, that's why we can never get anything done. You know, we've got so many shapers in the team. And no, we no one's resourcing team. it. Yeah, we can't get the resources. Nobody's resourcing to... it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think, again, that that can be a very... That can give them a light bulb moment, actually, where they go, oh, no wonder we always... We can never see eye to eye, where, you know, we both think the other's mad because yep. we're just coming at it from completely different directions. Yeah. Yeah, I've used the bone in the past. I haven't. I must admit, I haven't used that recently. Um, mm-hmm. Although it's a proven model, and as you say, just to give people an understanding about where their preferences or the roles they like to undertake in, yeah. informally within the team. Yeah. The other tool that I sometimes use is a psychometric. Whatever psychometric people mm-hmm. want to use, whether that's insights, Lumina, whatever tool people use, and I, I find that very powerful in helping people understand about why they do what they do in the way yes. they do it. So their preferences. Yes. Yes. Um, and again, by bringing you, most of them have colours, or if you use MBTI, then obviously, yes, you know, the, the different letters. But it gives people then another language to say you're being very red there, or actually we need to be more blue here, or more analytical, yes. and, and think this through rather than feel it through. Yes. Um, so again, other tools like that I find useful for giving teams as a language and a framework just to understand what's going on. Yes. within their own system you know when yes. they work with each other yeah that that's interesting actually because i think our our work is all about giving them lenses to to look through and so sometimes i'll again start by getting them all to bring along a team that they think is a high performing team or a struggling team and we pin them all around the 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 room and we get everybody talking about their chosen teams and that works on lots of levels i think because if if somebody brings the all blacks like i might and they say oh yeah. it's all about culture and passion and fairness and belonging and and you learn a lot about that person from from that mm-hmm. and again i think that that can be great because that gets them to um really step back and see see a you know a very big picture and so yeah. then you leave the picture on the wall and you can always come back and say well what would the all blacks do Come on, Chris, what would the All Blacks do if they were faced with this? Yeah, injury? nice question. How would, how would they handle it? And you yeah. can do the same for struggling teams and think, right, what's what's going on? Ryder Cup two, two weeks ago, you you compare the two sets of players. They're pretty much the same, aren't they? Give or take yep. one or two percent. But, you know, crushing win. What's going on? You know, what's going on there? It's all about, I think, values and patterns and behaviours and cohesion. So, so there's lots of different directions 
um, I, to to cover I, this from. And I, it's interesting. You're just trying to link the two bits together here with you know what what makes a great team. That, and you mentioned those six elements, and then bring along great teams and we pin them on the wall. It, it seems to me that most people know what a great team should look like. Mm. What what a great how a great team should operate. Mm. And and what it's like to what they'd like it to be where they're not working a great team. But from what you said, very few teams are able to achieve that. Mm. Or so achieve I, I it guess, consistently. Consistently. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I guess this curiosity keeps coming to the fore for me about why is that? Why is high performance teamwork so difficult? Well, in the, in one way, it's easy because let's assume for a moment my model is more or less right, which I think it is. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So, so you've got six six things. You have to have all those six things going right at the same time. So, you know, if one if one is not right, then the whole thing, then the okay, whole thing. So, all fails. these the six things from your perspective are interlinked, like the like the yeah, they, of, they 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 have to work it's it's no good having clear goals but you haven't got the capability and expertise to do what you're trying to do right okay so, so all six things have to be have to be in place at the yeah. same time and they have to operate in this complicated world of stakeholders um and changing conditions and people coming in in and out of the team and it only takes one person coming into a team. So, so again, you you look at sports teams. You know, they go on a blinding run. They can't, they can't lose. And then suddenly, something Don't changes change. and they can't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see that um, a lot in sport. Yeah, a lot, a lot in yeah, sport. Yeah. Um. So. And so, I think it, it it is simple on one level, but it's it's always thinking ahead, right? Because. I think some people think you go through forming, storming, norming, performing, and then you start performing forever. You know, we all live happily ever after. Well, it doesn't it doesn't no. happen like that. No. And you have to work really hard at performing to to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. And that means changing stuff. That means, you know, doing that sixth habit of, of looking ahead, um, thinking what might go wrong, what might get in the way of our performance, how are we going to tackle that? How are we going to bring in new people successfully? How are we going to let people go at the right time uh in a in a sensitive way? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, on the one hand, easy, but you know, it's it's six, it's not quite six factorial, you know, but but there's a there's yeah. a lot of moving parts. Yeah, and I guess with the current climate, there's so much change and moving parts and uncertainty, and we place into that those moving parts that sort of thing called emotion, anxiety, mm. fear, mm. you know. So, um, which going back to your quote with Tim Galway, is is that interference for teams, right? Mm. They've got potential that, to perform, but that interference that is there and that uncertainty which starts to to to, to kick in. So yeah. knowing the world's changing, Chris, and, and there's a new world of work, um, my view is leaders will need to lead in a different way. Mm -hmm. How will teams need to operate differently, do you think, in this new world of work? I think in this new world of, of, of work, Anything is possible. So you so you can have as a team member anybody you want in the world because you can get them on a screen sure. like this. So I think it's the it's the fluidity and agility of teams that that because we tend to have a very static view of teams, don't we? Right. We've got a management team, we've got ten people on it, 
and and that's going to continue until further notice. Yeah, maybe a much more fluid um, sense of team. So, for instance, with a project, you you'd have a slightly different team, you know, at each stage of the 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 project process, and maybe we just need to think much more creatively um, yeah. about teams in that way. Yeah. That's well, I, I think you're it. right. I think it's going to come more project orientated. Yeah, I agree. And you join a team, and then you leave a team. You join it. You could be a member of various teams. Yes, um, and then that's back to the clarity point that you were talking about. And you have sprints, and it, and yep. that then brings you the compelling purpose and, and the clarity of goal and role that that you need to 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 maintain the urgency, so you don't get into this nebulous status quo, of, and then you start to lose, you know, a bit of momentum and. Yeah. So I think maybe. that's that's a, that's an important point. I think I think that that might be that might be the future. And who knows? You, you know, and, and people are working from from home a bit more at the moment. Some organisations are now pushing back on that, aren't they? And trying to get them back into the office. And and I guess after two or three years, we'll end up with many different solutions on that. Yeah, I think we're still, well, in simple terms, what, what what's the best practice for hybrid? I think we're going to be emerging into what's best practice for teamwork or high performance teamwork for example because all yeah. these models that we've discussed are at least 40 50 maybe 60 years old yes you know and to some degree they're still valid but what's the new thinking around high performance teamwork in this, yes. this modern world um yes. yeah so it's, it's it's an interesting time for it, us it's, it, i think it's a fascinating time a to be a coach and and of any sort but to be a team coach because all the case studies you read and so on suggest you know high performing teams get more done with fewer people with more engaged people in less time with fewer mistakes so it's a goal worth going for yeah it, it really is i mean lencioni you know one of the gurus of teams you know his his view again some years back was you know teamwork is the is probably the only remaining competitive advantage that hasn't been fully fully exploited so it yeah. it, it is a an amazing time i think to be to be working with teams and yeah. and you know to 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 be in a team because the technology now as you were saying means that infinite possibilities you can be in multinational teams global teams you can be in more than one team you can be in teams at different stages I, I think the limitation really is just our own imagination yeah and you, you and you mentioned Lencioni I, I mean it's one of my favorite books Patrick Lencioni five dysfunctions of a team um, and the different levels with trust yeah. right at the base of that yes um, and leaders having to develop that trust within the team and team members developing the trust within each other you know yeah. to, to enable that sort of collaboration to to emerge and effective teamwork yes um so you know i'm i'm a great fan of that model um mm -hmm. and it'd be interesting to see whether those a bit like the maslow hierarchy of needs you mm -hmm. know which has stood its time over whether the sort of lencioni triangle with the trust and the sort of collaboration and, and performance and results yeah. and all those good things will also be be challenged as we go through yes um, but it's hard to think that that some of the absolute basics won't be critical. I mean, that that trust has to be the core of everything, yeah. doesn't it? In a team without, and maybe you need more trust when you're just talking to people on screens and you've got to find a way somehow um, you, you know, of getting that, you, you know, of getting that trust. 
my my youngest son, you know, he he started working during uh, the the pandemic, and and they were all working on screens all the time, and it's it was so hard for them. I mean, their training was very good, and da da da, but it was so hard for them to to understand the culture of the organisation that they joined, and um, yeah, re, you know, easier for us who who've been at it a while, but very hard to to establish that, yeah. you know, over a over a screen, the culture, the values, the behaviours, um, really hard. So, you know, with, with any development comes challenges as well. But you have to think if you can start with that trust, you, you, everything is possible. And without it, I think pretty much nothing is possible. Yeah, and I, and I like your sort of, it's got me thinking, actually, that all of those things need to be aligned. And I guess we use the term high-performing team, I, I guess, more appropriate term would be a functioning team that can deliver the results. Yes. Because sometimes low performing teams do deliver the results that are required by stakeholders. Yes. Um, so it's it's having enough trust to be able to get the performance that's required. It may not be enjoyable, um, but the team works in a way that delivers the outcome. Yes. So, you know, may, that's may, a pretty maybe... low bar though, isn't it? That, that's a pretty low bar. So if we all go home miserable every day, while we're just about getting over the line, that that's pretty low. Well, I, I it's it, it's I I guess it's that's not that, that wasn't my my point. My challenge is that do all teams need to be high performing? And and is that the right term? Mm-hmm. You know, you could say as a team we function well. Does yeah. that mean we're high performing? Um, and and what does functioning well mean mm. compared to high performing? Mm. This is a bit like, you know, I, I, there's an interesting article called, it's not about the um, A players. And, yeah. and this talks about, in most organisations, the B players, you know, deliver most of the value. Yes. So as a functioning team, what what is, what's okay just to function um, rather than be high performing? Yeah. And is that, and I'm not saying that's acceptable, but, you know, what's, yeah. what's sustainable for individuals in, you know, as part of a team and the way they operate. And I, I mean, don't want anyone to go home, you know, not be happy, but it needs to be sustainable as well. Yes. Yeah, you're right, because a team has a purpose, but you'd want them to, for it to be sustainable, they have to get widgets out of the door in a way that doesn't make them all miserable, I guess. Otherwise, it isn't sustainable because they'll all leave. Or, or... Yeah. So there has to be some element of doing something that matters in an efficient, productive way. And everybody has fun, not not rolling around on the floor laughing fun, but fun being inspired, energized while they're doing it. That's the other thing sometimes. You, 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 you're with a team and it's a bit flat and, and so on. And you get you go around the room and you say, hey, what do you do outside work? You know, what, what and the team will do amazing things outside work. They run brownies groups and they volunteer for this and they they do that and they run marathons and and like somehow they, they come together and they're like oh you know they're sort of suppressed and and um yeah so that's something we must try and get the best from people at work yeah and, and i think you know I, I, it's got me thinking you know this term we use high performing team um sometimes high performance isn't always achievable because as we've said, all those moving parts, just the changing elements. Yes. And if it's about getting all those six points aligned, 
you know, and we put a lot of effort, time and energy into trying to do that. We never achieve it. That's quite demoralizing. But yeah. to say we want to be functioning and sustainable and enjoying what we do, that in a way creates a different mindset within the team. Maybe that's better. I'm seeing a sort of Olympic rings thing of, you know, functioning. Well, enjoyable. There's a there's a danger where you put elitism around teams, mm. high performance teams. And, mm. um, you know, I, I, I'm, it, it, I guess what, what sparked that thought was you saying only 10% I work with are, are high performing. Well, if you go to elite sports people, that's probably the same percentage, if not less. Mm. So it's the term we're even using as team coach. You know, it's not about high performance teamwork. It's about getting teams to be able to function well enough to succeed mm -hmm. in a sustainable way and in a way in which they enjoy it and are there to continue to succeed for the organization or the, the function team or you know whoever they're they're operating with yeah i, I agree i i, I th that term high performance is a bit sort of glib isn't it it's a bit sort of yeah and, and I think the you know the direction our conversation was going, and we you know give us another half hour, we could we could brainstorm something quite useful there probably. Yeah, and you used Everest, right? So I don't know how many people in the world have climbed Everest, but very very few. Yeah, and to you have to be quite elite as a climber, with the money to fund it, whatever it is, it's certainly thousands. Yes. So you know. Going back to the point about clarity, is it, the important bit is that what is it that we want to achieve as a team? What is that output or that we're being mm. asked to? And can mm. we function well enough to deliver on that output? Without doing harm. Really interesting thing happens on, on Everest. So they they on the last day, they have to get up at three in the morning or whatever, and then they aim to, to you have to turn around from the summit by, I think the unwritten rule is 1 p.m., because otherwise you can't get far enough down to survive the night. You know, got to get back to your yeah. highest camp. What often happens is is people who have set up and have put the last five years into getting the money and the fitness and so on, they get summit fever. So they they forget everything else. They just go to the summit. And people have died because of this. They get to the summit at like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. And, and they, they're exhausted and they... They can't get down and they die. Um, and I think some organizations do that. So, you know, if a team has a goal which which they pursue to the exclusion of all else and no matter what happens and no matter the casualties, I think some some organizations get a sort of organizational summit fever as well. Yeah, I, I, I see it all the time. And I think yeah. teams are so focused on the output of succeeding. Mm. And let's call it, you know, the bottom line, let's call it profit yeah. or performance yeah. that they forget about the other factors, yeah. you know, like the impact that has on people, on the team members. Yeah. You know, the yeah. impact that that has on the environment and the way in which they achieve that. Yes. So, you know, I've recently seen some videos and activities on Everest and you look at the, 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 the sort of summit and it's just like a tip. Yeah of gas cylinders of sadly dead bodies yes that haven't quite made it so yeah you know i think when we talk about high performance teamwork and there is an edge of elitism there and we need to achieve that no matter what else mm -hmm. certainly speaking to you because it's got me thinking about okay what's what's sustainable effective functioning teamwork what's that look like what's that feel like mm. when you're in a team um and you're still succeeding mm. 
but it's enjoyable and um, it's sustainable. Um, and you want to continue to do to be better. That continuous and it's sustainable growth. with 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 lots of change. Yes. So again, back back to sport. Not if you look at, for instance, Ferguson. He managed to morph about three or four really high performing teams. Sorry, I'm using that phrase again. Yeah. Together, often what happens is a team goes through forming, storming, norming, performing, performs for a couple of years, and then drops away. It's it's having that sustainability with with new people coming into the team, people leaving the team. The purpose of the team may be changing a bit. The goals may be changing a bit. Really hard. is It's really quite tricky, isn't it, to yeah to do that? Because you're not you're not talking about sustainability. I nothing changes. You're talking about sustaining the. Well, back to my All Blacks, you know, they have a they have a core, they have beliefs, um, which seems to, I mean, they, they've had, you know, a dodgy couple of years, maybe, but they, it seems to, over the last 40 years, have been, have given them sustained success. Yeah. And they sweep out the changing rooms afterwards. So yeah. So they're humble and, as well. It's very humble. And, you know, they're authentic and, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's high performance just inbred within the DNA, and it just just happens, right? Mm. But the other the, the the piece of um, going back to Peter Hawkins' model that I like at the heart of that model is learning and growth. Mm -hmm. And you could argue, you know, Cyrus Ferguson with Manchester United kept on learning and building. Mm. And you know, going back to the Tuckman Norman Tuckman model you speak about is sort of forming storming. There's constant storming going on because we're challenging each other but we're comfortable to challenge and with that challenge comes learning with that learning becomes evolution which, i think which that's creates a sustainability you know, I, I think that's a difference elite sport monday morning they'd be playing the videos back of the of the match and they'd be going right let's look at the goal they scored right chris you were too slow back trayton you were you weren't marking your man you know the feedback is 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 very quick, very timely, and they just get used to it, don't they? They get used yeah. to looking at things they've done well and things they haven't done well, and they don't yeah. get terribly prickly about it. It just becomes yeah. a way of life. Yeah. Um, and, and, as... and it's that that the, the normal teams, business teams, don't do as much because it's always a bit prickly, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult to have or give feedback to each other, right? Yeah, um, and, and where I've had the best success with teams that function really well is creating an environment where we're happy to give each other feedback and observations. Yes, and that yes. becomes part of the norm. Yes, you know, not only how can I be better, but also how can I help the team be better and hold myself and each other to account. Yes, and that that comes through creating that. Going back to your point, there's sort of the values, the culture that you've created, constantly learning and wanting to evolve. But at the same time, being sustainable but still delivering, you know, year on year out. Um, what 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 a lot of teams that I find to start with they 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 attend say a leadership team with their functional hat on too much. You know, there might be finance head, HR head, marketing head, and a lot of the work I do is is to is to get them to wear that other hat as your your other hat is is a team member trying to help the team achieve the the overall purpose and even if you're a marketing director you might have to up the budgets because that's the greater good and if you can get them to start thinking of these two 
two hats they wear. I think that can help. That can help a lot. Yeah. And I think there's two other hats that they should be wearing. Every team member needs to wear the leadership hat because they should be leading the team in a way in the for the organization, but also yeah. that hat of being a human being. Yeah. Um, and being authentic um, and understanding that not every team member can be elite all the time. Yeah. Um, and and support each other in a way which helps the whole team, the whole to to uh, to achieve. Yes. Chris, time time's got the better of us, I'm afraid. But before I let you go, I have one question which I ask all my guests. And at Coaching Focus, our, our purpose very is very simple. It's coaching for a better tomorrow. So from your experience, 15 years in coaching, what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean for you? Yeah, I've thought, I've thought about this. I've been thinking about this for a, for a few days. And it's for me, it's, it's modelling the values and the behaviours we, we're going to need for a better tomorrow. So for me, those, those are things like fairness, respect, respect for others, respect for the environment, collaboration, uh, yeah. rather than competition and and courage courage to do some tough things as well as easy things that's yeah. that's what it means to me and if we can model that then i think that's that's leading us towards coaching for a better tomorrow yeah and i think as coaches we have a a duty to try and develop those great values and principles within our clients and within the teams that we work with correct yeah correct. yeah Chris, it's a real honour. Thank you, sir. Always, always great and uh, um, interesting to have a conversation with you. So thank you for your time. You're really welcome. I enjoyed it too.